get time to just put some more more of our interesting analysis and contributions to the discussion here uh, onto the uh, onto the record. So, how's it been going with you, anyway? Oh, good. Good? Not bad. I'm going to be um, spending some time in a uh, lake in the next couple of weeks, so it'll be cool. Like, so, where are you? You're in... It's just a real beautiful paradise. There's just all, like, long, huge cow fields and horse pastures and, like... Rows of corn. Springs, springs. There's springs all over the place. Oh, I yeah. Saw, and there were uh, three springs right there. On my, like, yeah, I'm right, I'm right no. on them. I'm right on uh, springs, yeah, but I want to go check it out. I saw the sign for it. I just haven't been in there yet, which is kind of sad. I should go over there soon. I should went there today. Yeah, no, so I just, I think that as we look at the news and the analysis, I think people are pretty shocked by the the different events that are coming coming about that seem to be so random. So now we're, we're hearing more about the, the baby food shortage, and it seems as though a lot of the shutdown of the baby food plants was, was actually ordered by the FDA. So as things are, are as the information is starting to come out, People are wondering why there was this unnecessary recall of baby food. And at the same time, they're like shipping it all away to other places. And they they um, basically created, it looks like the FDA was involved in creating this shortage. So I was just reading an article where the, the, the babies who are getting sick, quote unquote, and I got my fingers doing the quotations, quote unquote, sick, uh, and go to the doctors because they don't have any a formula. They the, the doctors don't have any any extra, they don't have any solution to their problems. So I think that some babies are going to get hurt here, you know? Well, to put, to put pressure on, on legislators, one of the key things is showing that children are in danger. There's the baby food. There is, uh, I don't know if you, you probably don't remember, but, um, and Desert Shield, when Bush, uh, when Saddam Hussein went into Kuwait, supposedly his soldiers were going into hospitals throwing babies out of incubators. And in Russia, they 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 bombed the children. You know, they right. they hit the uh, school or whatever facility it was where children were. And apparently, children were marked outside. You know, where they could see it by plane. You know, it's just, it. I, I don't know if, it, if it's if it's real or if baby food's being held back. I don't know. Right. No, I mean, we're both in the position where we don't, we, we, we have, our kids are grown and we don't have, like, a necessity for baby food. But you know when, when people need formula, they need it on stock regularly, cans and cans of it, just the baby just eating. You know, you just go into town, so you have to keep them fed. So if you have to start driving around and apparently there's eight different states this is just of course i haven't done like a scientific study to know if this is even true i, I get you but it looks like yeah it looks like from what i'm hearing that i mean they can play it off like oh, there's no problem here but the, from the sounds that i'm hearing uh, there's certain areas that are really can't find it so it's it's kind of becoming a deal even microsoft when i go to my microsoft network for my browser to just 
to look, do like a search. Like they're bringing up news stories, you know, regarding this whole issue. So I'm starting to wonder. Well, you had mentioned earlier the gunpowder fiasco and Guy Fox. Yeah, no, absolutely. I want to just, you know, to have a discussion about it and include it into the larger conversation because I, when I look for kind of a smart conversation, like any kind of like new, you can go to the history, ch you know, channel.com or something and see a little write up about it, but there's not really any good discussion about the large scale view of history that shows these kind of coordinated, you know, grand geopolitical uh, attacks that are, that are, de they're deception. Of course, all war is based on deception, of course. But I think that what we're dealing with in the United States right now, this this kind of like uh, uh, this this Machiavellian level of of contempt for the people. Uh, for, so you have this this kind of elite, this oligarchy that seems to be running Washington D.C. and they have no problem um, using their their crazy tortured political logic to try to suggest that we should all. Um, have abortions because babies are too expensive to feed. So that's the kind of like rhetoric we've been hearing coming from these these individuals. And so I'm starting to see now that I think that there is a grand narrative and a grand shape taking form here as our our elite, the elite classes, the political classes are really turning against the American people. And I think that we can see. We have a long ways to go with Biden and Harris, and he all he has to do is sign a few papers, and he can start the machines and the machinery of the of the military state apparatus, and and point those forces at whoever he wants. You know, so that's why I was discussing this issue of the gu the gunpowder plot of 1605, which people don't know anything about it typically, and also we were also discussing the Saint Bartholomew Day massacre in France, which was a similar duplicity. So they invited all the Huguenots into Paris for a great noble wedding between uh, Henry of Navarre, who was a Huguenot, and the French princess, who was a Catholic. And of course, the mother was Catherine Medici, so she was not too happy. She was nonplussed, let's say. And in the middle of this celebration, it reminds me of the Red Wedding on Game of Thrones. They just, they turn on... Colonel Caligny, and they turn on the Huguenots, who, of course, don't have any swords, they're there to celebrate, and they bring out the hatchet men, and they kill some 50,000 Huguenots. And the massacre extends all outside of the, the provinces of France, too. It just kind of starts in France, it kind of continues for a week, and they just slaughter all the Huguenots they can find. So, yeah, that's that's the kind of, the kind of duplicity and sudden terrible violence you can expect from the, the political leaders are when they're being controlled by Rome. So if they're if they've been to Georgetown University, if they are people who yeah right, they're people uh, who Donald Trump right. No, Donald Trump is, is 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 a guy who is a Manhattan billionaire. So you you can see that it wasn't easy. It wasn't you know that difficult for him to to organize the new what they're calling the new right. Well, the the problem is that. That so many people don't understand that they group the Christians in in one mass uh, population, and they don't, they don't they don't understand the Reformation, and they don't understand 
that Catholicism is really sun worship, that it's not Christianity. Right. And I have Catholic people in my family, and I, we can't discuss that at all. No, but it's true. And and the persecution of the Catholics, I, I can understand that, but it's nothing compared to it's nothing in it compared to the persecution of the Inquisition. Right. And the, I mean, I I read a statistic that uh, it was a hundred million people killed in the in the uh, Inquisition. Right. No, I think you're right. I mean, and that's. Yeah. That's nothing compared to the Catholic. But the thing is, the Protestants did the same thing. You know, at some point he's got to stop. No, I, I think, think that we'll ever get there. I don't think. I think our world is too is too chaotic for 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 it to ever stop. Uh, I don't have much hope for humanity. I, I do think we're in the last days. No, I think you're totally right. I mean, it's, it's really hard to argue with with that analysis. I mean, the, the you can understand in history at previous times when things were really terrible and there were terrible wars, people could uh, have imagined that they were at the end. But I think now we have this technotronic control grid that ties in with the bank debiting process and with your social security number and and the the system of IDing. Uh, people requiring it, requiring it by law that you're mandated to have these physical biometric data collecting. It's just, it's getting intense, so that it all ties in ultimately with the the, the system of, of passports. And when you get into the system of of making the the laws that govern passports, right? Then you're getting into a level of internationalism and international law that's really like it's really high up because ultimately. You have to make a system of laws that can that can um, cause all the different nations of the world to be in agreement on what documentation people will accept if they if they are passing through. If you if you have to go to Turkey or if you have to go to Japan or if you have to go to Saudi Arabia, and this system of bound borders borders between countries that ultimately has like a, a series of gateways that you can pass through with your passport. Is the system of globalism and internationalism itself? So that's what we're dealing with. You're dealing with um, ultimately, we call it the uh, the UCC or the Uniform Commercial Code, and the UCC is something that governs and, and creates the the rules on how um, banks uh, will operate and, and how the actual courts will be set up and in all the actual particular details. Um, so people should look into the Uniform Commercial Code. And it's kind of a, a dense, impenetrable subject matter that presupposes that they have already like created the rules of the world, and ultimately, you know, that, so that you know. But we're kind of getting on a, ta- on a tangent with that. But I think the point is, is that we're getting to this point now in, in American history where Americans forgot that they revolted against the king and the pope, and that's not allowed. So you can let a couple hundred years go by, but the same king of England, that same throne. Uh, and the same papal throne in, in the Vatican, they're, they're still seated there, and they're still nonplussed, right? They're still not happy with the, the heretic nation of America, you know, the Protestant and Baptist roots of our re- revolution, our revolt. We rebelled. 
Uh, the same thing happened when Martin Luther in 1517 discovered that the Gospels, right? He just kind of he got saved all of a sudden. He was reading the Gospels and the letters of Paul, and other people couldn't read them, of course, because they were all serfs and they were all uh, illiterate. But he was a highly trained um, a scholar, and he could read the Greek. And he suddenly realized that the Vatican was was not what was not uh, at all aligned with what was written in the Gospels and the Scriptures. So that's where the Protestant Reformation began, and ultimately, when they began to give people the Scriptures, and they um, over there, if you look at John Calvin in France, you know when he started to put the, the Scriptures out in the French language, and the people read it, they they started to to uh, realized that the system of the papacy that governed the kings and governed all the nobility and governed all the laws, that system of geopolitical power that called itself the church was really just a fraud. And so the same thing happened with John Huss and with the different reformers as they began to realize and ultimately get to the Gutenberg press and you get to this point where King James is going to print out the Bible in English because it's very popular. This is a huge Democrat, almost you know, it's almost a democratic move at this point. It's very popular with the people, and it's a way to stick the, his thumb in the eye of the Pope, and he will print out on the Gutenberg printing press the, the, the King James Bible. And so that's where you'll arrive at this point in history when the, the Jesuits especially are going to try to blow up uh, King James and the Parliament in 1605 and the gunpowder plot. So that was their answer. When they couldn't get their way, they would blow it up. They almost did. It was, uh, they, uh, they discovered it at midnight, I think, the day before, under uh, all these barrels of gunpowder, enough to destroy Parliament over 20 times, and um, so they, they discovered it yeah, th- th- under a pile of wood, and then they, 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 they were tipped off, possibly. Uh, some of the some of some of the conspirators that were going to blow it up. Well, at least one of them. I think his name is Cassie. But he, uh, they think he took them off. So was he? Uh, was he English? Maybe he was he was feeling guilty, or he realized that it was coming down to the wire. No, I I think he was just he was just uh, not ambivalent, but uh, he was. Wishy-washy, but yeah, so, I should have brought it up because I can't remember his name. It's like Cassidy. Catesby, yeah. I have a little write-up here. I'll just read it. Headed by Robert Catsby, the, the gunpowder treason plot, or the Jesuit plot, aimed to blow up England's state opening of Parliament and assassinate King James I on November 5th, 1605. The plotters were in- indignant when about the treatment of Catholics under their Protestant rulers. And they intended to restore, yeah. they intended to restore a Catholic freedom and control, and probably a Catholic king, I imagine. However, their scheme was discovered and reported at midnight of November fourth. Authorities discovered thirty-six barrels of gunpowder stashed under one of the houses of Parliament as one of the most momentous occasions in all British history. Large celebrations take place on November fifth every year to commemorate the foiling of the gunpowder plot. Always wondered about that, like when they do Guy Fawkes Day, is it? Is it to celebrate his failure, or is it to somehow... Now, now it seems like... The, as a chance. Right, now it seems like with these new masks, the, everyone wants to wear the... Uh, what do they call it? They call it the anonymous mask, but they don't realize that it's Guy Fox and it's really part of the... You're really wearing the mask of the Jesuit conspirator who was going to 
kill King James, and of course that would have ended the the printing of this of the King James Bible, which is so famous, of course. Yeah. So I think that he, you know, he was saved. And I think that you can see that these guys were radicalized at a political level, and they were willing to kill, like you would call, you would say, terrorists today. These were Catholic terrorists, and and um, I think ultimately the the wars. There was a, a thirty years war that would go on. It would it would take place, and um, and it was all it was all regarding the the Catholic kings versus the. The Protestant kings and the Protestant, uh, you know, princes who were not willing to accept the authority of the Pope. And so this is really the foundation history of Europe, and it has everything to do with uh, framing the actual existing nature of America. So we, we came here, our forefathers came here and set up a Protestant republic with no king, no monarch, and no Pope to rule over us, but we were here to since we had virtue and we had our Bibles and gunpowder, we could rule ourselves. Yeah. So I think that it's interesting that um, people now are wondering at, at the, all the, the, the crazy circumstances with the election. I, I don't know at the motives of somebody like Trump and Biden, but it just seems like to me that they're being pitted against each other in, in this remarkable kind of Hegelian dialectic, like, you know, you were bringing up before. Well, they're... I mean, they're polarized. They're so polarized. And the two parties are more polarized than ever. Everybody's going to be united on the divider, you know. And, and it just keeps getting worse. All right, so that's good. Yeah, as we're just kind of continuing the conversation, I'll just introduce this next little article here. I'll read it. You know, it's really brief. Um, Guy Fox Day, the Jesuit treason and gunpowder plot. A plan was hatched by a joint collaboration of the Pope and the Jesuits to blow up the House of Lords during the state opening of Parliament on the 5th of November, 1605. Robert Catesby was the leader of the group of English Catholics who plotted to assassinate the Protestant King James I in a failed gunpowder plot. Guy Fawkes, a key member of the group, was chosen to bomb the Parliament owing to his experience as a soldier in the Spanish army. He smuggled 36 barrels of gunpowder into a cellar directly below the parliament, which was enough to obliterate the entire building, thereby killing all the key members of the state, including the king and high-ranking officials. However, through the divine providence, an anonymous letter was sent to the Catholic called William Parker, who was a member of the parliament. The letter... The letter... The, the, the letter warned him to stay away from the opening of the parliament. Alarmed by this, he brought this to the attention of King James, who then ordered the search of the basement of the parliament. Guy Fox was found hiding in one of the cellars, guarding a stash of gunpowder explosives. And after being tortured, Guy Fox revealed that his that this was a pre-planned Jesuit-led Catholic conspiracy to annihilate England's Protestant government and replace it with a Catholic one. I, I guess so that would be, you know that would be a Catholic king in the waiting. A couple notes here: the gunpowder plot is also known as the Jesuit treason because it was a primary mastermind by Jesuits. Originally, the effigies of the Pope were burned, but later the they would they were replaced with effigies of Guy Fawkes. It was even celebrated in the colonial United States as, and was called and it was called the Pope Night because effigy of the effigies of the Pope and the devil were burnt and hung from trees. So 
that's an interesting little addition here. This whole little article, I will make sure I include it in the show notes so that you can take a gander at it yourself when you have time. And it's all about the, the, the Catholic geopolitical strategy of trying to destroy kings that they consider heretical and trying to destroy any kind of political leaders that they feel like are in their way. They, they anathematize them uh, with anathemas, so to speak, and they you know curse them as heretics, and then they send their, their Jesuit agents over to try to murder people. And that's something they've been doing for centuries. But no, we were talking about the the nature of the Counter Reformation and the Gunpowder Plot of 1605, where they had carefully, secretly planted the the, gun, the, the barrels of gunpowder because they wanted to desperately get rid of the the Protestant King James the First. There, he was um, deftly maneuvering between the papacy and the Anglican reformers in order to have his Bible printed, which was of course a heresy, and it was it was on the, the uh, list of banned books, the index, hit to say, the index of banned books. Yeah. So, um, but they were going to blow him up. Um, that was their way of serving God and changing the uh, geopolitical landscape. And it didn't seem like it was a problem for them because they were serving the, the greater glory of God and so on. And so on. So, if they had to blow up those people, then you know, it all I like to, heaven. I like I like to um, you know, I, I like to wonder how. I like to think about how the church rationalizes things like that, killing people. I mean, I guess they're fighting against Satan. Right, right. They have to establish their kingdom of God from the Vatican um, here on earth, and anybody who resists it is satanic. So, obviously... So, you know, if you don't come in and see that how great the Pope is and that he's the the um the image of Christ. Right, the vicar, the image of Christ and the in, in the house of God and, and they don't submit to him, then they're uh they're going against God, right? Yep, I guess so. Yeah, I mean I guess his divinity which is so unique is is political in nature. So lots of other priests and, and um religious people go around but they don't pretend to have like uh, sovereignty and and uh, royal royal power. So apparently he's like literally the king of the nation state there of the Vatican. So he's like a, he's a royal dignitary. So. Yeah, it, th- there was a time when he was totally infallible. Now he's only an infallible ex cathedra when he's speaking officially mm-hmm. or when he's writing his bulls or. But, um, yeah, no, I, yeah, he was a god king for a while because of how they were. Yeah, the, the meridian of his power when he could just point his finger and and de- declare kings to do what he wanted. And he, he was always struggling for that total dominance. And then, of course, is you know, pesky Islam came along and didn't didn't submit. So they wanted to resist. Well, I, I, I think Islam was a creation of the Catholic Church. It, 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 I mean, Muhammad's wife, Khadija, she was the older one. She was raised in a convent, and she supplied all the money to Muhammad. She was rich. Right. And, and I'm not alone in saying that, that 
there's, there are a lot of sources that point to the Catholic Church creating Islam. Yeah, at that time, it was the uh, the Augustinian monks in the area who were really the ones who were empowering her to, and kind of like seizing on this kind of individual to place in the middle of their new um, their new kind of cult. It was it was interesting. The history there was very fascinating. Um, but no, I think you're right. Um, ultimately, I think it got out of control. I think at some point they um, they became obstinate. They became they became where they they didn't want to give up a lot. Yeah. Oh, you you, you kind of faded out. No, I think a lot of a lot of my information on, uh, on that period comes from Walter Vive, so it could be slanted. But uh, his series Total Onslaught goes into the uh, one of the one of the videos, there's 39 videos, one of them is called The Islam Connection, and they go into great detail of how Islam was the creation of the Catholic Church, or members of the Catholic Church. Yeah, I think originally they wanted to use that military power that uh, the Arab and Persian nations kind of represented, and to use them to, um, to, to control the the area of the of Jerusalem in the Middle East, but they ultimately didn't want to give it up. I think ultimately, if you look at the letters and the history, they they didn't want to hand it over to the papacy, and they just kept it. So that's what that's what brought on the Crusade Wars, when the Pope decided that he had to have his his holy land, his holy city, and he couldn't leave it in the hands of the Muslims. So he went off to they they all went down to fight the Crusade Wars. Yeah, the Templar Knights were created for that. Um, only there's a it's a change of subject, but uh, the Pope sent his, some knights to Jerusalem, the Templar knights, to protect the pilgrim, the pilgrimers, or, or whatever you call it, mm-hmm. and and um, he only sent nine. And I always wondered about that. Why did he send just nine? He sent nine knights to protect the Holy Land. Right. Well, I think and apparently was, they, they uncovered something. A lot of people speculate that he, they uncovered some of uh, Solomon's riches because they went down there and they were the poor knights and they came back and they were international bankers. Right. Undoubtedly so. And um, being able to transfer your wealth from place to place around the uh, around Europe, all around um and have it protected and secured, like, um, you know, like you think like a Brinks truck. And they had these, the, the, the Knights ultimately developed the banking technology where you could use uh, notes, where they would send one note to one Templar bank from one to the next, and, they, and you could transfer your wealth through their notary. So that, that whole process of using paper money or paper uh, certifications of wealth was invented by them. Notes. Yep. I have a couple of notes in my pocket. Right. Exactly. So that's that's the, that's, that's the, what it comes down to. Yeah, I mean they they um they were so wealthy that ultimately I think it was the King of France, Philip the Fair, and he helped to get his cousin into installed as the Pope there. I think, and they worked together to to take the especially in France. Obviously, in the area of France, they were able to take the the Templars and really just route them out. And so it was the famous um, Grand 
head of the um, Grandmaster Demolay. Yeah, it comes to me. I can think Demolay, of it. Yeah. yeah, I can think of it. I was kind of blanking, but yeah, Demolay was going to be burned at the stake. And so there was another order of knights created at that time. It was called the Hospitaller Knights. They were, yeah, they were not Templars because they didn't protect the temple, but they were hospitalers. They they would hospital the pilgrims, and they would they would also protect them and and like help them assist them on their way to to have pilgrimages. So this is the way that Romanism is very similar to Islam: is that they needed to also have pilgrimages to the Holy Land in order to like fulfill their duty to God and that kind of thing. So keeping the special blessings, right? Of course. So having the, of course, if you remember the history of the Jesuits, Ignatius Loyola also made the famous trip to Jerusalem too. Found it that it was very dangerous and it was full of Muslim uh, fighters and so on. And uh, came back and he was not able to take the the Holy Land for the Pope, but he he said that he would set his order. To do, that was one of their grand uh, grand. Designs was ultimately to try to take back the Holy Land for the Pope, and that's what they set out to do. And also, to their other, their other grand design was to uh, start the Counter Reformation and roll back all the effects of the Protestant Reformation and democracy and, and the Enlightenment and Renaissance and freedom, you know, from the people coming out of the Dark Ages. And so they wanted to roll back those effects and bring back everyone back from voting for their leaders and having self-government and democracy, and they would bring them back into the bondage of um, monarchical lords, and we'd be, you know, just serfdom, general serfdom and medieval poverty and so on. And of course, if you go back to the Dark Ages, as a, as a, as a serf, you were not allowed to um, read or question authority, or the doctrine of prima nocta, like when you got married, they had to have the royal, you know, some royal nobility come down and bang your wife first, before, right. you, right, before you got a chance to, in order to keep everything right in the universe, right, according to the Pope. And if you didn't like this, you were a heretic, and maybe they'd braveheart you, or whatever. But that's the yeah. system of, of dominance and tyranny that we fought against to escape here in America. Now, that's what makes, that's why there's a big red hat on America. That's why there's a big target on our back, ultimately because we resisted the power structure, and um, now we got to pay. So. Well, the, you know, it, it, it's it's odd that that America was founded on the pilgrims who were seeking religious freedom, and it wasn't long after after they got here that they they started. I think they killed nineteen women witches. Right. They started the Inquisition here under the under Protestantism. No, it's true. I think that. I address that sometimes. I think that they came here with so much kind of uh, PTSD and so much trauma from from living for centuries under the, the medieval kind of like mindset that when they got here, they, they saw witches under every bush. And so, you know what I mean? And I think so when Mary, when Sarah Goodman or whatever, Sarah, you know, you know, she saw blood in the milk or whatever, whatever happened, whatever kind of strange things happened that they just kind of reverted back to their own um, way of doing business and burn, you know, trying to find something to burn at the stake. And yeah, it's a horrible tragedy, um, of course. And I don't think that there was any witches or there were any heretics. There were just people that were outcasts or, you know what I mean? 
It was. It, I don't know if it's a rationalization, but it's theorized that it's it started up in America as a result of them eating bad bread with ergotine on it, right? Which is what LSD comes from, right? So ergot, so so ergot, the little mold spores on the weed, yeah. cause cause them to have a strange a strange reaction, an act strange, and then all of a sudden they were witches dancing with the devil in the moonlight or something. I gotcha. It reminds yeah. me of like North Korea today. North Korea today, the people are so terrorized by their government and so often murdered and raped by their government. And they're so often starving by famine that they'll go out and eat grass in the yard. You know, like the, the, you know, they're yeah. so starved. So I mean, the, the, the extent to which you can push human beings through extreme terror and psychological torment is is a, is, is great. You know, so that's the kind of religious power. That uh, I think when they got here, they were damaged. They were they were escaping here. They were coming here out of some great heroic cause. They were coming here because the land of Europe had become so reddened with the blood and the ashes of the heretics. And you got to remember, Rome was tormenting Christians uh, when they were still uh, Caesars. You know, they were still putting them in the in the Colosseums to be burned for torches. And then that kind of transferred over later. The Pontifex Maximus, you know, it kind of transfers over to the papacy in this priestcraft, and they they're like Mithraic priests and druids of Rome, and they kind of take over, and they kind of like syncretize, so that they 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 have this mirage of being Christian, a Christian church, the dominant Christian church over all others, of course, because they're Rome. And when they get to that point, then ultimately after the Crusades, yeah, the, the Inquisition is going to start up, and anyone who won't say their Hail Marys or go to Mass or pay Peter's Pence. Well, because that's, that's what went to fund the Crusades, you know, and if you didn't pay Peter's Pence, boy, you might go into purgatory. So, you know, the whole system of Romanism is is a series of intellectual and emotional and psychological, like, traps. Warfare. Right. And so the process of coming out of that, um, I can't imagine Martin Luther was this guy, this monk, so he comes along and he can read in Latin and, and he can read in Greek and German. And he's like this brilliant scholar in English. And finally he gets the old dusky New Testaments out and he gives them a old looky, looky-loo to see what it's all about. And suddenly he reads the, the articles of faith and the Gospels when no one else could, because they were in Latin. And he gets saved. And, and this the, the, the information in the Gospels, that, that idea virus within him was so great that it started this huge revolution, you know, so it's going to lead to um, to John Huss and to John Calvin and to, you know, to France and, and to England and this whole kind of outbreak of men who are going to have the courage to say, wait a second, none of this, none of this Roman Pope, um, King of the World doctrine of the Jesuits is in the Bible. You know, it's not there. So um, it's interesting. It's an interesting and marvelous. Help me with help me with this. You you made me think of this. It, it's something's book of martyrs. What am I thinking of? Oh well, of course it's the Fox's book of book of Fox's martyrs. Fox's book of martyrs. Yes. What a great book. Have you read it? Or I've read it. It's great. Well, I had a bunch of quotes up here from it for the um, just to look at um, just to uh, to, to discuss the. The issue of Bartholomew, the Bartholomew Day Massacre, they had a whole bunch of really good quotes uh, in the Fox's Book of Martyrs, which I didn't know was really in there. wonder what would have happened if the 
if if the gunpowder went off and, and blew up Parliament, I, I wonder how that would have turned out. Well, Maybe in the, the multiverse, there's a universe where that happened. Right, no, I think that too, and they definitely were going to set it off and kill them. I think I think you're right. I think Catesby and and uh, some of the other ones were starting to kind of go back on it, and they must have dithered, and they must have just, for a moment, you know, they, they went and checked one more time and did a final security sweep, and they found it. But if you think about the Bartholomew Day Massacre, they, that did work. I mean, they did successfully, like, murder all those all those um, Huguenots. Yeah. Those damn dirty Protestants, right? They wouldn't, they, they wanted to have religious freedom and pray how they wanted to. And of course, that was just too much. And I just so happened to have this, this particular post up where we're looking at these Fox's Book of Martyrs quotes here regarding the whole issue. Of course, in 1572, there was a medal struck by Gregory the 13th to commemorate the slaughter of 100,000 French Huguenot Christians. And of course, there there's a grand painting commissioned by the Italian artist Vasari to paint a mural which still hangs in the Vatican today that shows, it commemorates and shows the greatness of the warriors of the Pope throwing Colonel Coligny out the window so he's murdered. And they're, they're just they're so thrilled with their murder. And so this is a case where they succeed in destroying the Reformers and the Protestants and the Huguenots and, and, and instead of being found out and discovered early, of course, this was going to happen in 1572 and, and, and this, this treachery and this traitorous murder of the Papists against the, the, the good-hearted refor uh, Reformers who thought that they were going to find some kind of peaceful accord were ultimately going to discover that they were going to be butchered. So, of course, following in 1605, the the court of King First was going to be terribly suspicious. He wasn't going to just accept the idea that he was perfectly safe to go into Parliament and not be killed. He expected that the Jesuits were going to try to murder him, and he found out that he was right. In 1605, they discovered that the Jesuit treason and plot was to blow them up, and of course, that would have ended the printing of the King James Bible some years later in 1611. So you see how all this is falling out. This is the, this is the foundational history of before, just as America is being born. So let's go to Fox's Book of Martyrs here and read a fascinating quote. In the meantime, all the friends of Caligny were assassinated throughout Paris. Men, women, and children were promiscuously slaughtered, and every street was strewn with expired bodies. Some priests, holding up crucifixes in one hand and a dagger in the other, ran to the chiefs of the murderers and strongly exhorted them to spare neither relations nor friends. Fox, Book of Martyrs. Here's another quote here. If you go to Reformation.org, it has this particular historical quote here, August 24th, 1572, the date of the infamous Bartholomew Day Massacre in France. On that day, over 400 years ago, began one of the most horrifying holocausts in history. The glorious Reformation began in Germany on October 31st, 1517, with Martin Luther had spread to France and was joyfully received. A great change had come over the people as industry and learning began to flourish, and so rapidly did the truth of the gospel spread that over a third of the population embraced the Reformed Christian faith. However, alarm bells began to ring at the Vatican. France was her oldest daughter and the main pillar and chief source of money and power. King Pepin of the Franks, the father of Charlemagne, had given the, of course, what turned out to be a fraudulent had given fraud, it was a fraudulent donation of Pepin, given the Papal States to the Pope almost a thousand years earlier, 
almost half the re the real estate in the country was owned by the clergy. Meanwhile, back in Paris, the king of France and his court spent their time drinking, reveling, and carousing. The court spiritual advisor, a Jesuit priest, urged them to massacre the Protestants as penance for their many sins. To catch the Christians off guard, every token of peace and friendship and ecumenical goodwill was offered to deceive them. So you see what happened there? They were deceived by the Jesuits and by the, the aristocracy and by the princes and the royalty and the papists. But in the summer of 1572, tens of thousands of Huguenots were lured to the city of Paris to witness the wedding of August, on August 18th of Henry of Navarre, leader of the Huguenots, to Margaret, sister of the French king. So they thought they were safe. It goes on. This royal marriage alliance was supposed to end the wars of religion that had plagued France. Between 2 or 3 in the morning of the 24th, August, the, the Popish feast day of St. Bartholomew, the papists rose up in a predetermined plan to slay the defenseless Protestants, wearing white armbands and with white crosses in their hats. For identity, they be began their work of slaughter as the bells began to toll on the Roman Catholic Church of St. Arvoir. The most prominent victim was the Huguenot leader, Admiral Coligny, whose body was mutilated by the, the assassins. For three days, the Protestants were hunted down and slain in the streets of Paris until the river sign ran red with their blood. Corpses blocked the doorways, mutilated bodies lay in every street and lane. By the fourth day of the fury of the assassins was satiated, almost every Protestant had been murdered. A dead silence fell over the Paris. Then the massacre began in other major towns, Lyons, Dieppe, Rouen, etc. It is estimated that 100,000 Huguenots perished when the news of the butchery reached Rome. There were scenes of wild jubilation. A te deum was sung. The Pope Gregory issued a medal a coin to commemorate the massacre. The Vatican was so jubilant, cannons roared, bells rung, and special commemorative medal was struck to honor the occasion. The Pope commissioned Italian artists to paint a, a grand mural of the massacre, which still hangs in the Vatican, as we said. The massacre on St. Bartholomew's Day are painted in the Royal Salon of the Vatican at Rome with the following inscription, Pontifex, Caligni, Necium, Propa, and Aida means the Pope approves of Caligni's death. Fox Book of Martyrs. Go on and read some more. At Augusto Bona, the people hearing of the massacre in Paris, they shut their gates that no Protestants might escape and searching dil diligently for every individual of the Reformed Church imprisoned them and barbarously murdered them. The same cruelty they practiced at Avericum, at Troy and Toulouse, and Rouen, and many other places, running from city to city, towns, villages, through the kingdom. Many of the wretched victims fled to the riverside, and some swam over the Seine to the suburbs of St. Germain. The king saw them from his window, which looked upon the river, and fired upon them with a carbine that had been loaded for the purpose by one of the pages. While the queen mother, undisturbed and serene in the midst of slaughter, looking down at the balcony, encouraged the murderers and laughed at the dying groans of the slaughter, this barbarous queen was fired with a restless ambition, and she perpetually shifted her party in order to satiate it. Fox Book of Martyrs goes on and on. Goes on to do more and more of this history of the Catholic purges and the Catholic inquisitions and murder, religious murder against believers against those who they proclaim are heretics, encouraged by priests. And it goes into the history of anti-public, 
And the, we have many quotes here, but the Croatian Catholic press described Post Pope Pius XII encouraging anti-public. The sovereign pontiff embraces the accomplishments of the great man. So, it's exhausting and it's just horrifying to understand this is a system of geopolitical power and it makes war against the saints of God and it destroys them at will. And so when we're here in America in the great in the bastion of Protestant liberty and freedom, you have to understand that there's a target on America's back. There are secret terrorists who are working hard to go through other agencies and to work through third parties and to empower other political groups to, to fight and to and to give funds and resources to these other adjutants and provocateurs and street agitators. And they're there to to, to cause the, the leaders and titans of industry, who are these knights of the, of the Pope, the Papal Knights, who are, have everything to do with influencing international banking regulations, and they're creating a world where America is going to be totally destroyed. And it'll be something that's a betrayal, a deception, it'll be a grand massacre and genocide on the scale of 1572 and the St. Bartholomew Day Massacre a betrayal of such grand and horrifying proportions that no one remembers. And the attempt to do the same again in 1605 to the, the, the Protestant king, James I. And so these are the kind of things we have to expect. If we're Protestants and we're, and we're men who believe the Bible, who have our, our relationship with God, who have the Baptist principles and history of the, this Constitution here in the United States of America, this freedom is established out of this need for security, the ability to to have arms, and to be able to fight and defend ourselves against these onslaughts of history. And it is a total onslaught. It's a total onslaught, and this is a, a segment that we'll add in there to discuss this in the show notes. So with that, we'll go ahead and, and wrap this up, this discussion. So in America, as we're starting to see that they're collapsing the currency, they're going to war, and overreaching and over... And our, and our military lines are stretched too thin and our resources are dwindling and they're cutting off our ability to have baby formula and oil for our vehicles. They're beginning to have a great famine and a starvation. The World Health Organization is stepping in to, to become, to, to have draconian lockdown measures that destroy our country. You have to see the grand scheme. You have to see the grand design is, is an effective stratagem of the counter-reformation. It's a ploy of the Vatican. It's a situation. It's a stratagem of the system of globalism that they're putting into place. So thank you for joining us, and we'll get back with you again soon.